you know things do look uh, daunting uh, you know we used to feel good not that long ago when a company exited for 250 million or 500 million uh, and we thought that was a, a very good outcome in fact you know majority of the outcomes actually are below 500 million these days you see a financing round greater than 500 million and it is not uncommon to see a round of 500 million so it does kind of bring you know the question of where do these companies exit how do they exit you know or you know is the exit for these companies pushed out by another 5 years because of the money that they have raised and the valuation that they need to catch up to so so i think that is one equation that one needs to take into account to determine whether we are in a bubble or not in a bubble You've probably heard me tell you about Send Pro Online by Pitney Bowes. It's an online software that helps you save time and money no matter what you're sending. Letters, packages, overnights, flats, you name it. You always pay the right amount and it comes with a free 10-pound scale so that you can weigh and accurately calculate your rates. You can compare your options between UPS, USPS, and FedEx and you'll save 40% off the USPS standard flat rates. If you're shipping stuff to your customers and need to save time and money, you want your business to be more efficient and profitable, this is a great way to do it. PB com/angel for more details and to sign up for a free 30-day trial. Plus again it'll come with that 10-pound scale, which will just save you a ton of trips to the post office. pb.com/angel. Welcome to the Syndicate, the podcast about the investors behind the overnight successes. It takes years, it takes money. On this show we interview the top angel investors, venture capitalists, and startups to share what it really takes to succeed with startup investing. I'm your host Matt Ward and I'm a serial entrepreneur and angel investor. And I believe startups are the future. and angel investing is the best way to build real true wealth. To find out more about us, please visit thesyndicate.vc. But now, let's get on with the show. Hey guys, welcome to The Syndicate, the show where we get the world's most interesting and awesome investors on the program so you can learn from them and we can all make some money and hopefully make the world a better place. Today we've got Venu Pemaraju on the program. He's a GP at WePro Ventures. I hope I'm saying that right. Hundred million dollar fund and focused on early and mid stage stuff. He wanted to get him on the program because they've got an unconventional model. So thanks for coming today, Venu. Thank you very much, Matt. So I, I like to it. I um I like to start things off with a, a high high picture view. So what's the thirty thousand foot view? Quick story of your career. How did you get here? So uh, my story is not very different from quite a few uh, engineers who end up being in the corporate venture or the investor world. So I came into the I came to the US quite some time back to do my masters in uh, electrical engineering uh, computer science and f- after finishing that you know I did my usual stint as a software engineer at a startup worked after that at Mentor Graphics and Synopsys as a product manager and then the bug to go get an MBA bit me and uh, left my job at Synopsys as a product manager and went to University of Chicago to pursue my MBA degree and uh, after my first year i applied for an internship at intel capital and uh, fortunately ended up there and uh, you know did some investment uh, strategy work for uh, intel at that time and this is we are talking about 1999 now if you think about that time most of the mission critical applications uh, like you know chip design or telecom software manufacturing financial services most of them ran on unix systems and sun solaris was perhaps the most 
preferred platform at that time for running those mission-critical applications. And Intel was uh, kind of trying to see how we break into that segment with the x86 architecture, you know, just move from the laptop segment and the desktop to the enterprise. And so my job as an intern was to come up with a strategy of how the x86 platform gets adopted in some of these very large segments. And given my background in the EDA segment, the electronic design automation segment, you know, they basically asked me to come up with how does x86 get into that segment. So, and again, at that time, you know, uh, fortunately, Linux was also kind of getting adopted in the enterprise. So my, my project at that time was to come up with the combination of x86 and Linux. And that was you know, a proposal that I made as a way to break into these very large enterprise segments. And fortunately, it worked out uh, both for Intel and for me. And I got a full-time offer from them and I joined them in 2000. So I worked in, at Intel Capital from 2000 to 2015. And then after that, I joined Wipro Ventures. Uh, in early 2015. So that's that's been my journey in the last, whatever, three decades. So why the MBA? Uh, good question. You know, I always somehow you know, felt that it was necessary for me to um, A, make a change in my career. And I was doing well as a product manager. I was doing well you know, in my role. And I felt that if I had to change my career, if I had to get out of EDA, chip design, I felt that was you know, one of the best options to do it because I, you know, when you try to go from one industry to the other industry, it's not that easy a transition for most people. I mean, the first question is, so what have you done in my industry? And, and, and uh, so I felt MBA was a good way to stop or to make a transition from what I was doing in EDA to some other industry. And, and that, that was my role, my reason for actually uh, leaving work and going and doing an MBA. How much of it was Tiger Parents? Tiger parents? No, my parents didn't have anything to do with it. My parents. I've heard a lot of stories. So I, I had to ask, okay, so you came over here to the States on your own then. What was that like? Unknown, fear of the unknown. Uh, you know, although, uh, you know, I, I went to IIT in India. So it's not like I was the first one coming here or whatever. There were, uh, you know, people who have come to the U.S. to put much before I did. The element of fear, fear of the unknown, you know, what does, you know, the U.S. look like? You know, will I be able to do a good job there? Uh, but fortunately, there is a very good social support circle available to, you know, people like me who come after finishing their undergraduate studies in India. Uh, so it's a, I would say it's a soft landing rather than a hard landing. And, and that helps. That helps immensely. So you're at Intel Capital and you go through the, you go through the boom and the bust of the dot-com era. What was that? Uh, what was that like? What'd you learn? Uh, yeah, I went through two cycles, actually. I went through the internet boom and bust, and then we went through the financial crisis era as well. So I, I, I've seen a couple of them. You know, it, it is, it, I, I would be lying if, you, if I said that we saw it coming. I, I don't think people saw it coming, even though they may say that, you know, I knew this was going to happen, that we were in a bubble. You know, when you're in a bubble, you really don't see it, actually. and. Uh, and the the I, I have my scars on the internet uh, on the internet crash. My one of my roles at that time was to invest in telecom software. And if you remember, at that time, you know, we were going through the classic transition from you know uh, your TDM classic TDM type of you know plain old telephone to voice over IP, and everything was moving towards IP. So I paid my dues when I was doing my telecom deals at that time, and how they came crashing down. 
so that was one lesson i learned that even though there may be mega trends out there and you know they will happen and they have happened but uh sometimes startups are not geared to kind of capitalize on it and and you need a certain level of staying power and those who had the staying power succeeded but those were few and far you know few companies who managed to do that so you've lived through two bubbles and two crashes are we in a bubble are we headed for a crash <laughs> Oh, as I said, you know, when you're in a bubble, you don't know that you're in a bubble. But, you know, things do look uh, daunting. Uh, You know, we used to feel good not that long ago when a company exited for 250 million or 500 million. uh, And we thought that was a a very good outcome. In fact, you know, majority of the outcomes actually are below 500 million. These days you see a financing round greater than 500 million, and it is not uncommon to see a round of 500 million. So, it does kind of bring you know the question of where do these companies exit how do they exit you know or you know is the exit for these companies pushed out by another 5 years because of the money that they have raised and the valuation that they need to catch up to so so i think that is one equation that one needs to take into account to determine whether we are in a bubble or not in a bubble so I was interviewing Douglas Rushkoff on the other podcast, uh, The Disruptors. If you guys haven't checked that out, it's disruptors.fm. But he has a theory that a big part of the problem we see with economics is that capital gains are taxed at a very low rate and distributions are taxed at a regular or a higher rate. What would your thoughts be to flipping the venture model on its head? And instead of focusing on getting exits, focusing on building companies that had cash flowing returns. Obviously, it's very, it's very unconventional and the opposite of what the industry is built to do, but it might be a more sustainable model. Matt, I, I don't know if I have good opinions about that subject. So I don't know if I can take a pass on a question like this. Uh, I haven't thought about this, this issue, whether it is just the issue of economics that is leading to such a situation or will the economics change the way business is done? Uh, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I, I think this is something that I probably haven't thought too much about. Yeah, no worries. It, uh, it puts a lot of pressure on companies to constantly grow. Otherwise, you got to raise the raise the valuation. So, so pivoting a bit to you guys, Wepro Ventures. Tell me about the genesis. How did you guys get started, and what do you look for? So Wepro Ventures. If you look at you know, how Wepro Ventures structured, you know we all uh, report to the chief strategy officer of Wepro, uh, Rishad Premji. And uh, even bef- even though Wipro Ventures was kind of officially launched in early 2015, Rishad was doing some investments on behalf of Wipro uh, very selectively. And his belief uh, based upon the value that the investments were adding and how it was helping him differentiate Wipro from other players led him to kind of formalize the whole process. Quick so- caveat, what is Wipro? Wipro is a very is a global technology services company. We service you know the global 100 corporations, uh, so enterprise. So we have customers across the globe. And if you look at the type of activities that we do, a lot of it leads to work associated with automation, a lot of back office type of work, helping them develop new products. So it's a myriad of activities that a services company like Wipro does for their customers. And our customers, as I said, you know, uh, you should be able to look up, you know, the list of customers. We have probably 250 global enterprises who are our customers. And usually it's the very large, the largest of them across different industries, telecom, financial services, manufacturing, healthcare, 
across the, across across the spectrum. How do you op- operate a VC fund inside a big boy company? You know that question I think is uh, relevant for every corporation, for example, that has uh, that has a venture arm. In some cases, the venture arm reports to the CFO. In some cases, it's a standalone unit. In some cases, it reports to the chief strategy and innovation officer. So I think you know you see all flavors. Uh, in different corporations. In our case, we report up to the chief strategy officer and he has a unique view of the company and our customers because he's also responsible for M&A, strategy, investor relations, government relations. So he has a 360 degree view of how the industry is changing and what is it that Wipro needs to do in order to a facilitate the change and also take advantage of those changes. So when when he thought about uh, Wipro Ventures, I mean he was obviously looking at it as a way to not just differentiate Wipro, but how do you bring innovation to our customers? And this Wipro Ventures happens to be another avenue to bring innovation to our customers. I mean we of course do internal innovation. We're also partnering with other startups and large companies. We are doing custom development for our uh, customers. And and this happens to be another method or way for us to bring innovation uh, to our largest of uh, customers. Which gives you incredible insight into the type of startups to look for. What do you guys look for and what trends are you hot on? Right. No, it's interesting. Uh, so when, when we look at trends and, and given that we are more of, you know, I would say series A plus, series B type of companies. So it is not really a question of hottest trends or whatever. I mean, you know, I, I think all of us look for it, but I think the way we, you know, when we think about investing in certain companies or why we should do certain things, I mean, the th- the trends that we look for are, for example, you know, there is a migration of applications to the cloud. I mean, you know, for a long time, most of our customers had their own private data centers, but with the advent of things like AWS, Google Cloud, Azure, I mean, they are migrating their applications to the cloud. Uh, And these could be new applications. It could be existing applications that they are modernizing and moving to the cloud. So we look at migration of applications to the cloud as a trend. We look at app modernization as a trend. Uh, Then things like, you know, once you, of course, you know, cybersecurity is and always has been important regardless of whether you do it in the whether your applications are in the cloud or on the enterprise so that is another area that we look for is that once applications move to the cloud what are the different cybersecurity needs for a particular enterprise so it's not just protecting your crown jewels inside your firewall but you also need to figure out how do you protect uh, your investments that are outside your firewall then when we look at you know big trends like 5g that's happening you know it's going to spawn perhaps a different method of how applications are built, how customers interact with applications, edge computing becomes a reality. You know, how does it, ha- how does it affect things like in- autonomous navigation, communication between cars? So we look, at, we look at mega trends like that and then see what are the holes that we need to fill in order to create an end-to-end solution for our customers. Uh, so that is how we kind of evaluate, you know, whether an investment makes sense or not. And and what is very important for us is it's not just a question of with those and take the solutions to the customers because it is a it is pretty much a requirement for us to when we invest that we become their go-to market channel and and we take pride in that fact that you know we are contributing to 
the revenues and the top line of both, you know, our mothership Wipro as well as the startup that we have invested in. So that is how we, you know, it's, it's a long answer, but that's how we look at trends and where we have a role to play as far as investments are concerned. How do you help with that go to the market? Every VC says they're value add and entrepreneur first, but you guys have a, a different model. So how do you guys do that and how do you make it successful? Yeah. And, you know, uh, it, it is heavy lifting. I, I think it is important for somebody who's new like us, who's trying to establish themselves. And I think, I hope we've done a good job in the last four years, you know, to make sure that you put in the mechanisms in place in order to uh, support the value proposition that you go uh, the, that you go with so what have we done you know uh, you know to kind of meet that meet that threshold so we have made sure that you know for every investment that we do that there is a sponsor within one of the operating units who kind of is responsible for shepherding the go to market activities we make sure that there are enough people within Wipro who are trained to support such a solution when we take it to our customers. We make sure that there are enough incentives, monetary and otherwise, available or, or made available to the people who are evangelizing these solutions with our customers and uh, deploying these solutions in our uh, in our customer base. And then, you know, of course, you know, governance from a governance perspective, we every quarter, you know, the team meets and we formally go through the progress that we are making, what deals are we doing? What's the pipeline look like? We have you know, a very regular cadence with the sales teams of the startups to make sure that we are in alignment with their messages, that, that we are collaborating at these institutions. Uh, so it is, it is heavy lifting. And for every deal, we have such a mechanism in place and, uh, and you have to manage it. And you know, we need to make sure that we can scale it as well. Uh, so those are all the things that we do in order to make sure that we deliver on the value that we say we are delivering. So it's not just a question of, you know, saying that, you know, here's Wipro check or whatever, but I think there, there is value. You have to deliver the value. But if you, have, if you look at it from a different angle, if you look at it from Wipro, you know, why do we do all these things? No, I think that is, uh, that is a very relevant question. And we do it because at the end of the day, the customers trust us to bring uh, a solution that, that, they can rely upon, and then we can stand behind it. So, you know, as, as trusted advisors to our customers, it is incumbent upon us to bring them the best-in-class solutions. And having skin in the game in the companies that we invest in makes it that much more credible, you know, whenever we take the solutions to our customers. So that's how we believe, you know, it, it is a two-sided equation. You know, we need to help the custom, the startups that we invest in, but in the in return, you know, we are also benefiting, hopefully, from, you know, strengthening our credibility with our customers by bringing them, you know, valued solutions. So you're basically a distributor plus a services company plus a holding company. That is true. I mean, you know, uh, we we kind of like to think ourselves as valued partners rather than just distributors because, you know, without without that contribution, without that commitment to deploying the solutions and ensuring that it is a successful deployment, uh, you would be nothing but just a reseller or a distributor. So it is really one of those, you know, valued partnerships is how we look at it. So talk to me about some of the investments you've made personally, which are you most excited about and why? Oh, uh, we, are, we are happy about all the investments that we have done so far. Uh, all of them are on our website. But, you know, I think the one that comes to mind up front right now is, you know, company that is just exiting a company called Demisto. 
it's in the security orchestration space. Uh, Palo Alto Networks is acquiring them for you know, $500 plus million. And uh, this is a company that, you know, we were, uh, inv- we've been investors for more than a couple of years. Uh, we were early investors in, in Demisto. And uh, not surprisingly, you know, the cybersecurity team identified that segment as an emerging segment. They were uh, kind of helped, uh, you know, refine some of the roadmap activities for Demisto. And Demisto kind of saw in Wipro uh, not just a channel for getting to customers, but also as somebody who can help them with scaling some of their activities, you know, providing the necessary feedback to kind of prioritize some of the things that they did. And, and you know, we've got, you know, many customers, you know, uh, that uh, that we have in Demister, and they have been excellent partners for us, you know, and we are so happy to see them exit, you know, to another great organization like Palo Alto Networks. And so, you know, if we look at, you know, other companies that we have done a lot of work with, you know, testing automation, you know, we have a fair amount of engagement with the company that we've invested in. Cybersecurity has been a very good area for us. Uh, We've just invested in a couple of companies in the uh, AI ops space, MOOCsoft, CloudGenics in the SD-WAN space, and, you know, the activities are heating up. Avamo is another company that, you know, we've been very good partners with, you know, when it comes to conversational AI and chatbots. So it, it's, uh, it's across the board is how I would put it. We take it, as I said, very seriously, how we help them grow and how we are bringing value to our customers. Hey, guys, sorry for the quick technical difficulties. <laughs> Sometimes it happens. So I noticed a couple of cybersecurity companies, and you brought that up a couple of times. Cyber, it seems so hard because it's easy to play offense and hard to play defense. Is that where we'll see the next wave of unicorn companies is in cyber as things just explode in size? You know, cybersecurity, as everybody knows, it's like an evergreen area. And part of it is because, you know, the 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 bad folks are always kind of, you know, uh, coming up with ways to exploit. And as somebody said, you know, as long as there is software, there will be holes and, and there will be vulnerabilities. So th- that is one reason why. But it also, if you look at it, you know, there are new ways of developing applications. So you have to think about application security in the new environment. And then as, as we discussed earlier, you know, it's not just a question of protecting your assets behind your firewall. Now that your employees are Essentially, it's a virtual organization. People are dialing in and uh, working remotely and accessing cloud applications. That creates a separate level of vulnerabilities for an organization. And then finally, you know, everybody is on this uh, path towards you know, digitization or digitalization, uh, which means taking analog processes, analog, uh, analog equipment, and making it remotely monitored, remotely managing it, uh, administering it. So all those things connect the industrial side of the enterprise with the IT side of the enterprise. So you will see vulnerabilities being exploited, you know, in in those uh, in those areas as well. So those are all the areas that we look for. Uh, and of course, you know, identity management. Are you really who you are? I mean, that seems to be an evergreen problem as well. So, yes, you know, do you play defense all the time? Uh, you have no choice. And uh, that's because offensive capabilities of people who are trying to exploit them, I mean, their capabilities are increasing 
you know, thanks to the computing power that's out there, thanks to the connectivity that's out there. Uh, so, and it is, it's a lucrative business for, for those who are trying to exploit the system. And there are no so, rules. Yes, I mean, and there are no rules, of course. What is your, uh, what's your fund look like? I know it's a hundred million. Are you guys playing with house money? Do you have LPs? How do you structure that? Right. So it's less of a fund and more of a allocation uh, from the balance sheet. For us, you know, every year we invest about, you know, 20 to 25 million from our balance sheet. And so far we've done well in terms of meeting our strategic objectives and financial goals. So, you know, in about a year or so, I'm sure uh, we will get a further allocation for investing in more companies. And this has been a good program for uh, for Wipper so far. And I don't see any reason why, you know, it will stop at this at this stage. Devil's advocate, you've got all of these global 1,000 or global 100 companies. Why not get them as LPs as well in the fund so they participate in the upside and they're kind of locked to you and your companies even more? No, I, I, it's a good point. So instead of them being LPs uh, in our organization, given that we invest off the balance sheet and we will not work, but what is happening in the corporate venture world? Most of the large organizations are creating their own captive venture arm. I, I think on last count, there probably were about 200 corporate venture uh, organizations that were created uh, last year. And and corporate VCs now are uh, contributing almost 50% of the capital that is going into startups. And they are uh, in almost 25% of the deals that are being done. So I think what you will see is not that you know we have to open up our quote-unquote fund to other LPs, but I think the opportunity to collaborate with other corporate VCs is going to increase dramatically down the road. So, uh, are we, so you will see us perhaps collaborating with other uh, in, uh, in companies, uh, in, in supporting companies, and, and it already happens. I mean, you know, if you look at you know, some of the companies that we invested, like TradeShift, for example, uh, TradeShift uh, has a multitude of corporate investors on their cap table, like NHSBC, Amex, and others. Similarly, if you look at you know uh, companies like say Avamo in our in our portfolio, Intel Capital, Ericsson are investors. In so I think you will see that kind of activity rather than having a fund where multiple uh, corporations are LPs in them. Understood. Let's everyone keep the keep their own hand in the pie, but slightly more controlled. What uh, If you had to pick what in trend right now to focus on as an investor, what would it be and why? And you're talking in terms of the investment trend, or you're talking about the area, the segment that one should invest in? I mean, how, what, 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 how would you qualify that? You can take that as you will. For instance, autonomy, could be, okay. autonomy could be one, five, right. 5G could be one. Right. No, uh, uh, good question. I, I think if we look at the underlying theme for us, for Wipro Ventures, I think the underlying theme for us is automation. If there is something that we will always care about and always uh, think of, uh, it is going to be how do we bring a new level of efficiency in how things are getting done. Uh, and those could be as mundane an activity as back office operations, it could be sophisticated in terms of how uh, corporations or enterprises deal with their customers. So one one trend that will always be important for us and we will always look for in, in a startup uh, would be what level of automation does that startup bring 
to an existing process or to a new process. And uh, automation will be a theme, you know, whether it is a back office operation or something that is customer facing. So we will see, you know, companies like, for example, an Avamo on the front end where, you know, they are automating a lot of the help desk interactions, customer interactions. We will see things like, you know, as simple as testing, you know, what level of automation is brought in to test your applications. How do you bring them to the market faster? So so automation and, and whether it is analyzing cyber threats, for example, how do you then, once you identify a cyber threat, how do you fix that cyber threat? Uh, how do you fix the vulnerabilities? You know, so automation is perhaps the key underlying theme in all of the investments that we make. And then, of course, what is the role that somebody like a Wipro plays in adopting it and deploying it? So the combination of automation plus the friction involved in deploying the solution. So those are, if, if we have to kind of you know elevate everything to a very high level, that's what we will look for. How frictionless is the solution and what level of automation does it bring to the work that is already being done? That's, that, those are perhaps you know, the two trends that we will always look for. It's two sides of the coin, always making things faster and easier. What are uh, any big misses that you've had either with Wipro or before? Uh, <laughs> yeah, of course, you know, you'll always have misses. So it's not like, you know, uh, uh, after the fact. So, you know, but I think, you know, uh, rather than dwelling on the misses or whatever, I, I think, you know, a friend of mine said it really well. You know, we know as investors, you know, we have to think of ourselves as waiting at a bus stop. Now, the buses will always be coming. So, yes, you may miss a great opportunity, but if you if you always dwell upon it, you will miss the next big opportunity. Uh, so, you know, in hindsight, did people, a lot of people missed on things like, you know, for example, like Dropbox is a good example. The number of companies in, at Intel Capital, I looked at, you know, that did file sharing or, you know, syncing your desktop, with, you know, the cloud, whatever. There were so many, so many. And uh, but you know you have one great success in Dropbox and then Box for example also but you know you can't you can't dwell on it you just have to move on you know I've had great successes as well and so you know one needs to celebrate those successes. I think that was a really good takeaway from that. I wanna I wanna have one one more takeaway one more piece of advice before we start to wrap things up and tell them more about you and where they can find you. If you had to leave people with one thing, a quote, a call to action. What would it be and why? You know, if you are an enterprise software startup, you know, you are looking for a great partner to, to reach out to the enterprise, to the global 100 companies. You know, you've had some initial success. You've had some initial product market fit and you're seeing some level of repeatability and you want to scale it and you're looking for that one trusted partner. I, I think the ProVentures would be a good partner to work with and uh, should reach out to us. I want to thank you for coming on the program today, Venu. Where's the best place for people to learn a little bit more about you? You know, they, they should go to uh, wipro.com slash ventures. I think that's a great place for everybody to know what investments we've made. It also talks about what are the things we look for. Uh, and I'm always approachable. I mean, you know, uh, people can reach out to me on uh, venu.pemaraju at wipro.com. I at least take pride in responding to most of the emails, if not all the emails. So I'll at least I'll at least let you know whether I believe I can take it forward or not. Uh, so that you have my word on that one. How do you know if a VC can take it forward or not? Is there is there a quick sign or something people can look for as founders? 
So for, you know, I, I can only speak for, you know, corporate VCs and, you know, and, and for myself, I think for us, uh, it is not that difficult for us to figure out whether we can take it forward or not. Now, the the first thing is, is this something that is applicable to the large enterprises? So I think that's the first filter. The second filter would be, is this something that we have internal competencies? You know, would I be able to do justice to a solution like this? Because even though it may be applicable to the large enterprises, but perhaps uh, it is not an area where, you know, we are playing. The third would be, what kind of proof points do you already have? So for us, we are not seed stage investors typically, although we do occasionally do a seed stage investment, but we are looking for those proof points. The, the other thing that we will look for is what is the role that I can play? Am I just a reseller taking it from you and distributing it? Or is there a role for me? So I think that is very important because we are not just a channel partner, because if you're looking just for a reseller, then perhaps somebody else is a, is a much 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 better suited for it. And then we also look for price points. You know, it has to be something that's worthwhile. I mean, we we would look for enterprise solutions that are hopefully meaningful uh, rather than, you know, something that is, you know, $10,000 price point or something like that. You know, it, it doesn't just, it doesn't work for us. So it is it is not that big of a challenge for us to kind of indicate to somebody in in very clear terms as to why something doesn't work for us. And I and I think it's important for people to know what works for us and what doesn't work for us. Yeah, it's it's super valuable to know the VCs you're working with pitching. And if you get a bunch of canned canned emails, it's just not going to click. Correct. Correct. Venu, thanks for coming on. Thanks for tuning in today, guys. If you're uh, if you're interested, we yeah, WePro's got some great connections. Thank you very much, Matt. This is a great opportunity. And thank you so much for uh, giving us the opportunity to speak with you and your audience. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Go build or bet on something great. Cheers. Okay. Bye. Today's show is sponsored by Pitney Bowes, a company I didn't know about before they reached out and one that I really wish I had. Our e-commerce company used to get killed shipping products from some of the warehouses we had in the U.S., and it was because we were paying way too much for shipping. Send Pro Online by Pitney Bowes, it simplifies all that. It's an online tool so you can compare between different carriers, you can print out all of your packaging and labels, and you can get products shipped out to customers faster, easier, cheaper. You'll save 40% over the traditional USPS flat rates for priority mail shipping, and you'll get five cents off of every letter. All of that saves you time and money and makes your business more profitable. For more details, go to pb.com angel and you'll get a free 30-day trial right there. After that, it's only $14.99 a month. And for the time and money it'll save you, it's easily money well spent. Again, that's pb.com angel for more details. Thanks for listening to The Syndicate, the podcast where angel investors and VCs go off the cuff and discuss the ins and outs of the venture ecosystem. We're here to share the tips and tricks of the best in the business because startups and tech make the pie bigger. To learn more about us and what we do, visit thesyndicate.vc. And to join our syndicate on AngelList, just go to thesyndicate.vc slash join and get access to some of the best startup deals. This has been another episode of The Syndicate. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys again next week.